Chapter Eleven of Lancashire Characters and Places by Thomas Newbigging. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Ambrosial Noon. The history of the coffee and smoking rooms of Manchester has yet to be written, and if ever it should be undertaken by a competent hand, it will disclose a curious and interesting phase of Manchester city life. From about one to two o'clock during five days in the week, a good deal of coffee and tobacco are consumed in these rooms. Each rendezvous has its regular frequenters, choice spirits many of them, ready at a moment's notice to discuss the knottiest problems in politics, literature, art, science and religion, whilst in the midst of the most serious talk a constant fire of good-humoured chaff and ironical remark goes on. Some of these rooms at the hour named are crowded to excess, and the ventilation is not usually of the most perfect kind. The attractions, however, are such that these little drawbacks are borne with equanimity, if indeed they do not constitute a part of the pleasure associated with the gathering. In the following sketch, which the writer originally contributed to the City Jackdaw, a local periodical, which like many other similar ventures, died for want of support, an attempt is made to give the drift of the conversation during the hour of high noon in a well-known and largely patronised smoking-room in market street the principal character in the sketch mr bardsley or old bardsley as he was generally called was a familiar figure in manchester and in this particular coffee-room for many years his ready wit and fluent tongue to which a good memory supplied unceasing materials along with an eccentric manner lent no little attraction to the rendezvous of which he was the conspicuous oracle and ornament. Scene. The smoke-room at the merchants. The assembled company sit on stuffed seats round the room, the majority with long clay pipes. Table in centre, cup of coffee before each guest. Atmosphere hazy with tobacco smoke. Dramatis personae. Little Bowden, with his spectacles, his bark worse than his bite. Heavisides professing to be au fait in French, but not necessarily up to the mark in his English. Gravis, fond of arguing, and evidently well satisfied with himself. Old Timber, blind of an eye, but the other wide awake. Gosling, red in appearance, but in reality, as green as a lettuce. Zodiac, the eminent Rochdale publisher, with a bundle of his latest almanacs, and an eye to business. Whistler, an assurance agent, carrying his credentials in his face. Scotty, with an idiom as broad as his native heaths. Gulliver, his ears open for a joke and loud in his responses. Round, wearing the air of a town councillor and fresh from the soap bowl. Old Bardsley, cock of the walk. Time, one o'clock p.m. Enter Bardsley. The company in chorus. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Mr. Bardsley. Bardsley. Good morning, good morning, gentlemen. I hope I see you well. Miss, dear, addressing the waitress, will you bring me a cup of coffee, dear, please? And don't put too much water in it. Sit still, Mr. Gravis, sit still. I wouldn't like to disturb you. Gravis, shifting from Bardsley's favourite corner to another part of the sofa. Come and sit you down, Mr. Bardsley. You're the only gentleman that comes into this room that I would give up a seat for. I'll always give up this corner to you, Mr. Bardsley, when I have it. Bardsley. Don't mention it, Mr. Gravis. You're very kind. I don't like to monopolise a seat, seating himself. 
this is a public room and nobody has any right to claim a vested interest in any seat though i have known people with a sly look towards the deaf gentleman who invariably occupies one seat under the gaslight in the next compartment who do such things but i don't gentlemen this is a free country that reminds me of the song i've heard sung freedom of opinion it's called where the singer goes on to say that when riding in the train if anybody sitting opposite to me pulls up the window i shoves it down i'm for freedom of opinion i say miss addressing the waitress will you give me a widow a second-hand pipe i mean thank you dear i'm much obliged fills his pipe and recites this pipe so lily-like and weak doth thus thy nature frail bespeak even thou art such gone with a touch thus think and smoke tobacco yes that verse is from a poem written by erskine erskine the great scottish judge thus think and smoke tobacco a wonderful man was erskine scotty ralph erskine ye mean the reverend ralph erskine but he was not the judge o that ilk you'd have your eggs there bardsley well i'll not dispute it sir but erskine the judge i mean was a surprising man and a great wit in his day you've heard his definition of fishing angling i mean he said that it consisted of a stick with a hook at one end and a fool at the other gulliver and the company in general but especially gulliver Ho 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 ha ho 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 let's see mr bardsley you're a fisherman aren't you bardsley well i confess to a liking for the gentle art as old isaac walton used to say zodiac john bright's particularly fond of fishing bardsley he is sir and i admire him none the less for that most great men are fond of the same sport there's our friend gosling for instance he's a case in point he's particularly fond of fishing gosling looks as pleased as punch the meat out of a boiled lobster collapse of gosling gulliver oh ho ho now then gosling where's your sauce for the lobster <laughs> heavy sides i don't care much for fishing i like shooting better my french tutor and me were down in scotland the other week and scotty interrupting indignantly up ye mean you'll need to be goin to school and learnin your geography again i see ye gang up when ye gear to scotland heavysides you're right in one sense no doubt but we the people of england here say down when we go to your country and that's grammatical scotty humph i do see we the people of england ye maun be a descendant o ane of the tailors o' tooley street he was only the ninth pet of a man and you attack to be only the ninetieth big as ye are gulliver oh ho, ho, ho. it's your turn next heavysides <laughs> what part of speech is that heavysides bowden i call that the indicative mood in the superlative degree gravis now heavysides oatmeal's the better mon but i'd ne'er be licked wi porridge general company oh round come come lads no wrangling let's go in for a bit of peace and quietness whistler ay that's what billy butterworth said when he put his mother-in-law behind the fire bardsley come gentlemen come i don't like wrangling no good comes of it let us talk as sam johnson used to say both heavysides and scotty i make no doubt would stand their corner especially round a corner 
in defence of their own country. But time's precious, gentlemen. My train goes at five o'clock, and it's now getting on for two. Heavisides. Well, as I was saying, I've just been having a week's fishing and shooting in Scotland. I cared nothing for the fishing, but the shooting I enjoyed amazingly. I was shooting pheasants and rapids. Bardsley. Oh, I see. You went in for a rapid transaction. Small profits and quick returns. I should have thought that shooting Niagara would have more accorded with your taste and weight, Mr. Heavisides. That is a rapid of some consequence, and it wouldn't need two of that size to fill your bag. In Ireland, they have just taken to shooting lords instead of peasants. Just so. Every man to his taste, as the shark said when he swallowed the nigger. But my penchant is for fishing. Heavisides. That's a French word, begging your pardon, Mr. Bardsley, and pronounced Pongshang. You see, in the French language they... Bardsley. Well, sir, I'll not contradict you. At the same time, I wouldn't give a fig for a man that couldn't pronounce a word in more ways than one. But that's neither here nor there. I was properly come over one day as I was fishing at Gorton. I was sitting on the bank with me rod in me hand, and there came a man sculling past in a small boat. Well, he accosted me, quite civilly as I thought. Do they bite middling hard today, mister? he shouted. No, they don't, sir, I replied. They're rather backward at biting today. Oh, he says again, then thou aren't as lousy as thy use is being. General chorus of company. Ah, ha, 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 Gulliver, as soon as he had recovered his wind. Thou geet greatly bitten thee, Bardsley. Oh, ho, ha. He took a rise out of thee that time. <laughs> Bardsley. He did indeed, sir, and if he'd been a bit nearer to where I was sitting, he'd have felt the weight of the thick end of my fishing rod. I'd have spoilt his skull for that day in more ways than one. But it is disheartening to cower for two hours on a stone without getting a nibble, and to be laughed at into the bargain. However, the joke wasn't bad, and I enjoyed it. I did indeed, gentlemen. Anglers have had a great deal of abuse heaped on them at one time and another. You remember what Byron says? Gosling does, I know. About old Isaac. Gosling, looking intelligently awake. Quite so, quite so, Bardsley. It occurs in Byron's play of Joseph and his brethren. Bardsley. Exactly. He says, And angling too that solitary vice, Whatever Isaac Walton sings or says, The quaint old cruel coxcomb in his gullet, should have a hook and a small trout to pull it. Well, now, I don't think that the fish feel any pain scarcely when they're hooked. You see, gentlemen, they're a cold-blooded creature. Their nerves are not as fine and delicate as the nerves of those animals of a higher type. Mr. Whistler's there, for example. Man, as you all know, has the most delicate nerves and the finest sensations. Whistler. Draw it mild now, Bardsley. Don't talk about your fine sensations. We know... Bardsley. Well, my dear sir, I cannot well wound your sensibilities, for I never knew you to have any. Lawyers, jailers, and insurance agents never have. But as I was saying, gentlemen, when Mr. Whistler, I pity him, interrupted me, man has the most delicate nerves of any living animal. A prick with the finest needle causes him pain. The nerves in man, gentlemen, are so close together, so interlaced one with another, that even the finest needle-point cannot be inserted between them without awaking the sensation of pain. As Solomon said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But it's not so with fish. A hook in their gullet causes them little or no pain. 
I admit, gentlemen, that this is a very convenient doctrine for those, like me, who are fond of fishing. As Othello said, I have angled in strange war, Whistler interrupting. Come now, Bardsley, couldn't you go a little farther back than Othello, say an odd five hundred or fifteen hundred years? It's all the same to you. Couldn't you trot out Nebuchadnezzar when he went to grass there, you know? Or would you mind telling us what Julius Caesar said? You remember, when he played that fiddle at the burning of Constantinople? Zodiac. You're wrong there, quite wrong, Whistler. It wasn't Julius Caesar at all that played the fiddle, and it wasn't at the burning of Constantinople. Now I'll prove that you're off your horse by my almanac that I publish once a year. The price is only twopence each, gentlemen. I have a few left here in my carpet-bag, and as it is July, I'll let any of you have four copies of the work for sixpence. I'll prove to you that it wasn't Julius Caesar, but that it was. What's his name? That... But wait, gentlemen, it's here in my almanac, twopence each, containing also a history of the Blue Pits Boggart, and a sketch of the life of our distinguished townsman, the Right Honourable John Bright, with numerous receipts for the cure of gout and rheumatism, and for removing freckles, warts, gravis, and household furniture. No packages required. Timber. Keep your almanacs in your bag, Zodiac. They're behind date by six months, and I'll back Bardsley's memory against your almanac any day. Bardsley. Well, as I was remarking, fishes have about as much sensibility in their system as Whistler has in his, and that's not saying a great deal. Well, gentlemen, jokes go free till after Whitsuntide. I was fishing one day with a friend of mine, when who should we see coming along by the riverside but two Quaker ladies that I knew by sight. They were owners of a tan-yard nearby. Now then, Dick, I says to my companion, we're going to catch it. As soon as they came up, they stopped, and one of them began. Don't you think, friends, that it's very cruel of you to be catching the poor fishes with a hook? Well, ma'am, I answered, there may be a difference of opinion on that point, but whether there be or no, we've scriptural authority for what we are doing. For don't we read in the Gospels that Simon, I don't mean the tanner, but the other Simon, was a fisherman, and I never heard that that was any discredit to him. This was a new view of the subject for the ladies, and they evidently thought that they had caught a tartar, for they quietly smiled and continued their walk. Whistler. The devil can quote scripture, Bardsley, but he is the father of lies for all that. I don't say that you are one of his progeny, but... Puff, puff, puff from Bardsley. You vent blue smoke enough to poison a salamander. Bowden. Sally, did you say, Whistler? Is that a flame of Bardsley's? Whistler. He'll get flames enough some day if he doesn't stop telling his old yarns. Gulliver and the company in general. Ha, ha, ha! He's making it up for you, Bardsley! Bardsley. Joking apart, gentlemen, it is very sad. It's very sad that any man should be so wedded to evil habits as our friend Whistler as to mix up sacred subjects with profane in the manner he does. I pity you, sir, I do, but allowances must be made for a man's bringing up. It's hot weather, gentlemen, wiping his neck. I had a tie on today that nearly choked me, so I took it off. Round. I knew a man that had a tie on that did choke him, properly. Bardsley. Just so, but perhaps he had had a drop too much. The company. Ho, 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 Bardsley wiping his forehead and addressing the waitress. I'll take another cup of coffee, miss, and put a bit of ice in it. Rare weather for niggers, gentlemen, rare weather for niggers. Hello, I've broke my pipe. I'll trouble you for another second-hand pipe from that corner, Mr. Whistler. Whistler, handing the pipe. There's one of your own sort, Bardsley. 
as black as your friend the nigger, and smelling nearly as sweet. Thanks, Mr. Whistler. You're very kind, but I have known more than one handsome nigger in my time, one especially, a fine-looking fellow, just such another man as yourself, Mr. Whistler, filling his pipe. Scarcely so attractive in appearance, I'll admit. He was a primitive Methodist parson, what they call a ranter. He preached in a small chapel off Brunswick Street, when I was a lad going slow errands. I remember him well. I used occasionally to go to this chapel on a Sunday for the sake of seeing him. Of course, I had been brought up in the orthodox belief that the devil is black, and somehow or other I'd got it into my head that this was no other than the old gentleman himself, that had been converted by the ranters and had turned preacher. The scene in the old chapel was often extraordinary of an evening when the rays from the setting sun streamed through the end windows the shadow of the upper half of the black preacher was thrown against the wall in half a dozen places and what with his frantic gestures and the shouts and groans of his respondent hearers the effect on the mind of a youth of my strong imagination was something fearful it was indeed gentlemen i remember it well Bowden, do you believe that tale gravis gravis well i don't mind making a compromise if you'll believe one half i'll believe the other and that's more than bardsley ever expects bardsley really gentlemen it's like casting pearls before swine what colour was hannibal when he crossed the alps two thousand five hundred years ago why black as ebony i knew him well but i do admire that pleasant wit of mr gravis though some of his jokes are as old as solomon he should learn to curb his wit however for it is a perilous gift as dryden says great wits to madness nearly are allied a thin partition doth their bounds divide dryden gentlemen next to pope is my favourite poet always barring the swan of avon of course they were both great luminaries in their day but like most of us here no offence meant gentlemen they were comparatively poor with all their abilities pope was lame as well as poor he had a kink as they say in his walk gravis oh i see he was in the hop trade gulliver and the company oh oh put him out whistler none of your vile jokes gravis that was enough to make the chairs and tables move round and there would have been nothing extraordinary in that i believe in table moving i do for i saw both tables and bedsteads moving this morning the medium was a bum bailiff bardsley really gentlemen i'm very sorry i'm very sad but i'm not surprised for the levity of soap suds is well known gulliver that's one for your knob round <laughs> next as dicky proctor used to say come on and take your lather in bardsley we were talking about pope gentlemen he was a staunch roman catholic and his comparative poverty was owing to that circumstance the father of the poet who is of the same persuasion lived in days when catholics were persecuted for their religion and he kept his money in a strong-box at home, dipping into it as he required it. He was unable to put it into a bank, or to lend it at interest to a government that persecuted his class of religionists, so that when the old man died, there wasn't much left in the box for Alexander. Bowden, I don't believe there were any banks in those days. Bardsley, of course there were banks. There were banks before Noah's time, knocking the ashes out of his pipe. But they were river banks well rising and making his way towards the door good day gentlemen all and don't forget to tolerate the superfluity of the luminary general break-up of company End of chapter eleven